Father in heaven, speaking of journey, would you take us on a journey in the next few moments and take us in this journey, take us to a place that we we are changed, different than when we came. In the name of Jesus, amen. The tragic story unfolded just days ago. 13 U.S. service members losing their lives, suicide bomb. One of them, Sergeant Nicole G., her father, reflecting on the picture that days before she was killed, she took and Instagrammed out with the title, I Love My Job, as she stands there in Afghanistan caring for a young child no doubt while the parents or parent are trying to figure out their options. Sergeant Nicole with the United States Marine Corps, caring for this young child. And then days later, after she, she Instagrams this now viral picture, she loses her life. Her father... In an interview out in California, he's interviewed now, and it is just a heartbreaking interview as he calls his daughter the true hero, the warrior. He says in the interview, he says, I am broke. I'm broke. I lost my baby, he says. I lost my baby. I'm broke. Oh, we don't have to, to have lost a child but we know what he's talking about. Some inconsolable, deep pain. We call it heartbreak. Heartbreak. But we're not talking about that, that organ pumping blood just breaking or becoming less useful. We all know what we're talking about. Something deeper than that. A physician, a surgeon can get to our heart. Some medication can help. We're talking about something deep. The heart. Remember what C.S. Lewis calls calls the the heart? The hidden control center. That, That deep control center that's untouchable by human hands. That operates you. That guides you in, in your decisions, in your, in your direction. As your physical heart goes, so your physical health goes. As your spiritual heart goes, so goes your spiritual life, your spirituality. In the entirety of scriptures, we see this heart of God seeking the heart of people. It's, It's a heart conversation. The whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is all about hearts. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Pause, pause, pause. What if that hidden control center, what if that heart is broke? What if we are heartbroken? You know, heartbreak, the metaphor for that intense emotional stress or pain one feels in experiencing great and deep longing. The concept is cross-cultural, often cited with reference to an unreciprocated love. Oh, heart, heartbreak. We're not talking about, now listen, 
I, I can picture myself sitting on a stool. I must have been 10 years old. 10 years old, I'm sitting on a stool in our kitchen, and I am wailing from heartbreak. I am pulling out hair at 10 years of age, pulling out hair for heartbreak. My mom, who's also in the kitchen, seems unimpressed by the charade. My sisters, the only time my sisters have ever stood up for me was when they said to me, look, he's heartbroken. He's distressed. My mom never did buy it. Never did give me back the jar of candy that broke my heart. We're not talking about that. Come on. We are not talking about you just can't have what you want. Psychology Today, May 21, the uh, issues, issues this research that they've done, May, May being the, 21 being the year, so just this past May, they, they are reflecting on this research, research of, of heartbreak. They, they've figured it out. They, they did when it happens, how it happens, why it happens, what happens with heartbreak. Conclusions, 82% of the people on the planet have experienced heartbreak. I don't know about the other 18%. I don't know who they are. They are just robots or very young, young children, maybe. But 82% of those on this planet have experienced heartbreak. The average for the, for the greatest heartbreak, the, great, the average age for, for when you experience absolute real heartbreak is 20. Now, not, not to say you can't do it when you're younger or older. They're just, these are facts that they're reporting on. Here's, here's the interesting catch. I, I know this isn't, this isn't some craziness, but heartbreak, heartbreak, they concluded, psychology today concludes, heartbreak the vast majority, like, like the overwhelming majority, like almost all heartbreak takes another heart. Ah, I had never thought about it. I never reflected on it that way, but it's true. There are, there are some isolated instances that we could say, yeah, I, it broke my heart and there wasn't another heart involved. But the vast majority another heart. And then psychology today says, and the, and the overwhelming majority again is another human heart. Now there's a few exceptions. There's a pet that, that maybe you lost and it broke your heart and, and that pet had a heart. But psychology today says, nope, the vast majority, overwhelming, almost all, 99% have to do with another heart. Heartbreak happens with another heart. There have to be two hearts involved. And then number two, the other heart is almost always a human heart. Ah, so we, we sing songs about heartbreak. Well, maybe we don't sing them. We, we've heard them. And uh, if you're from Texas, maybe that's all you sing. It's about heartbreak. But there's heartbreak. It's something deep and personal, but common in, in what we share. Emily Dickinson wrote the poem, Proud of My Broken Heart. She writes these lines. Proud of my broken heart, since thou didn't break it. Proud of the pain I did not feel, tell thee. Dickinson is, is, is actually celebrating in this poem, heartbreak. 
she's not, she's not just looking for the pain, but she's saying that pain, the fact that I have heartbreak and feel the pain means that I loved or am loved. And that is worth being proud of. Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, the, the Hasidic rabbi, most known for these for this one line, I'll put it on the screen for you. There is nothing more whole than a broken heart. His reflection is that you feel more. A broken heart uh, alerts your sense, fills your senses. You, you feel the most when you have a broken heart. Oh, he's not saying it feels great, but it feels you have the most feeling. C.S. Lewis in his work, The Four Loves, kind of expands on, on the rabbi's statement, on Dickinson's thoughts. Put those words on the screen. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Hey, heads up, everyone. You love, your heart will possibly be, be broken. It's just the risk that love is. If you want to make sure, hey, I don't want to feel that kind of pain. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Don't share your love. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It won't break, but it will change. How will it change? It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable, is to run the risk of being broken. That's what it is. Heartbreak then. Heartbreak is an actual sign of life. You can't have a heartbreak without having a heart. And what does that mean? To be loved, to love and be in relationship. We were created with a heart, that deep hidden control center. We were created with a heart and that means we were created for relationship, for love. Interestingly enough, the Bible tells us we were created in the image of God, which would mean God has a heart, a hidden control center. Let's talk about God's heart. It's broken. I've never seen this before. This week, reading Genesis, go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. It's all it takes. Six chapters in and five verses in. I've, I've, I've often focused on this verse. The Lord saw how great the wickedness was. He saw how wicked man. And that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil con all the time, continually, some translations say. God saw our hearts were bent on selfishness, pride, distraction. But verse 6, watch what verse 6 does. The Lord regretted that he had made the human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. What's that word troubled mean? It means it was grieved, vexed, or broken. God regretted this because, because love had made him so vulnerable. And we, we human beings, made in his image, the other heart, opposite of every heartbreak is another heart. And so opposite the heartbreak of God are these hearts that are distracted, selfish, evil continually, and God regrets being so vulnerable. 
He regrets that he made us to be heart to heart. Well, we've all felt it. The loss of love and you, oh, was it worth it? You ask. And then through the ages that come, God is heartbroken. The prophets bear it out. They just bear out the, the, the passion of God as his heart is broken. Jesus, Luke chapter 19, shows up and he's riding on that colt. And as he approaches Jerusalem, he begins to weep at the sight of it. Now Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew tells us that he, in his wailing, he says, I wanted to gather you and have you as my own. I wanted to be close to you as a mother hen with her chicks. I wanted to be tight with you. I made myself vulnerable to you and you have abandoned me. The heartbreak of God on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Jesus cried. Because he had placed himself out there, because he had made himself vulnerable to relationship, not with inanimate objects, but with me, with you, with us, God himself experienced heartbreak, rejection, and abandonment. The Bible then is also full of narrative stories of men and women who chose to love God even when their own hearts were broken by others. Jill Briscoe, the American British author and speaker, she she writes, a sign of maturity, a mature, uh, spiritually mature person is when we care care more about the things that break the heart of God than the things that break our heart. Whew. Tall order. That I will care more for for what breaks the heart of God than what breaks my heart? Well, Joseph did. His heart was broken by cruelty uh, from his own brothers, the lies of Potiphar's wife, and the ungratefulness of a cupbearer. But he chose to remain faithful to God. I will care about the heart of God. Daniel's heart was broken by the loss of of his homeland, loss of his freedom, but he stayed faithful to God, protecting God's heart, even above his own. Ruth, in tragedy and personal loss, loss of her love, she stays faithful to God, caring more for God's heart than even her own heartbreak. Paul's heart was broken by repeated beatings, by slander. These had feelings just like we have. They wept. They suffered. Their hearts were broken. But they held on. They set the example that they would care more for what broke the heart of God. They didn't distance themselves. They didn't become consumed with themselves. They cared about God's heart even while their own hearts were broken. It's this line that I, I wish I could, I could just inscribe in our, in our minds. To care for what breaks the heart of God, even when our own hearts are broken. A 
I wonder to myself, could it be that David offers this as an example as well when he repents of his sin in Psalm 51 and he brings back his sacrifice, his offering to God. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. I'm giving you my broken heart, God. I'm going to give it to you because I'm going to be faithful to you and not break your heart. So here's my broken heart. That's tough. To care for God's heart, not to break God's heart, even while your own heart is being broken, that's a tall order. That almost seems unfair. And something deep inside of me when I think about that invitation from the Bible, that while my heart could be broken, to guard God's heart, something deep inside of me cries out, but what about me? Who's going to take care of me? Is anybody hearing me? And that's when we have to go to Luke chapter 4. Got your Bibles? There's a pew Bible right in front of you, so if you don't, you just go to Luke. It's the third gospel of the New Testament. Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes back to his hometown. You know the feeling, you're an academy student, you've been away at academy, you go back to your home, home church, little grandmas are, well, you've grown and she left three months ago. You know, you just, oh, it's good to see you again. Jesus, no doubt, got some of that. He goes to his home church. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, the church there in Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. When Jesus went home, he still went to church. When you go home, you go to church. All right. As his custom was, he went to church. And he stood up to read. You know, you go back to your home church and they say, oh, you got you to be involved. You got to tell the children's story. You got to tell us a story about literature evangelism. Just talk to us. And so Jesus got up to read. And he, he opens a scroll to Isaiah 60, 61, verse 1. And he reads the Spirit of of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Every listener had heard this. This was a very well-known passage. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus is reading this messianic prophecy. People are just touched. The way he's reading it is full of passion, conviction. At the end, he rolls up the scroll. And he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. But when he sits down, everybody's just like, what did we just hear? There was something in their hearts that began to quiver. And, and so he, he kind of just stood back up right at his seat and said, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all then began to, they turn, as soon as he said that, they turned to their, their neighbors and all began to speak well of him and were amazed at his gracious word. Did you just hear what Jesus read? That was powerful. I know I've heard it a hundred times, 
But something about today made my heart, did your, yes. The church is just. And then somebody begins. Somebody begins the concern, the seditious whisper. Isn't this Joseph's son? Everybody was sitting there amazed, and then somebody begins the, the complaint. Isn't this just Joseph's son? It can't be a big deal. He's just one of us. He's a common guy. I don't know what I felt or what you felt, but this isn't. And that whisper begins to spread around the congregation, the campus. Everybody's like, well, yeah, it's not really. That whole revival thing that you just felt, nah, it's nothing. That Vespers talk, psh, nothing. And the whisper goes around. They end up dragging him out on a Sabbath afternoon to kill him. The volume, Desire of Ages, breaks this down and said that the, the, the whole complaint, isn't this Joseph's son, was that this was so common. Ah, oh, it's so common. If, if God was going to do something, he would do something amazing with maybe a speaker we all know, a name that is famous. He wouldn't use her. He wouldn't use him. That's too common. They're just one of us. And that complaint is what squelched the spirit from doing this miraculous healing of their hearts. It squelched it. And then Jesus began to unpack to them, you know what? You want a heart healing? We got to talk about what has hurt your heart. And let's talk about it. Those Gentiles, they're going to be blessed as well. <gasps> Ooh, that didn't go so well. The Gentiles are going to be blessed? Desire of Ages says, you know what? When Jesus comes to heal your heart, he's going to have to touch the very thing that is keeping your heart from being healed. The bitterness, the resentment, the anger, the unforgiveness, the selfishness, the pride, the lust. He's going to have to touch. He's going to have to handle the very thing that won't let your heart be healed. And when he touches it, it's going to be painful. And you and I are going to want to knee-jerk react. Hey, hands off. Don't hurt me. Stop it. And that's what they did because it was only Joseph's son, Jesus. He can't, he can't go there in my heart. The Gentiles? No. You can talk about whatever else you want, Jesus. We'll amen you all day long, but don't talk about that part. And within every one of us, beloved, is that part. There is a Gentile in every one of our hearts that Jesus is saying, you want your heart to be healed? Your heart is broken. I want to touch it. Let, please, please, let me get my hands on that part. Oh, but it hurts, Jesus. Oh, he says, but I know, I know, but I was sent here to heal the brokenhearted. That's why I came. Jesus came to heal our broken hearts, your broken heart, whatever it is. Whatever caused it and whatever is still causing it to break, Jesus came to touch it and to heal it. Uh, here's my appeal. Last summer, well, a year ago, Christmas, my wife, most of you know, had this loony idea. 
to buy me a gift certificate to skydive. I'd always, the macho thing, I'd always told her, I'd skydive. And then she gets me the certificate. Why are you getting me this? Who would want to do that? Uh, I, have a, I have a certificate. Now, you can't waste good money. I got the certificate. It's got my name on it. So I dove. I dived out of the plane this summer. Longmont, take you up. You're now 17,000 feet above sea level, 12,000 feet above the ground. There's the picture. You're above the clouds. If you haven't ever jumped out of a plane, I, I wish I could describe for you the feeling. It is everything that you think it would be, meaning there, is, there comes a moment when that door opens and you are scooted because you're sitting uh, like pony style over on a bench in this plane and the person behind you just scoots you forward and you, it's just like a conveyor belt. You're like, excuse me, excuse, excuse me. And, uh, and you're just getting closer to that door and you get to that door and, and I'm standing there for a minute. You have to make sure there's no buckles or straps that are around you. You don't want to jump and something tie you to the plane. Uh, and so my toes are literally dangling all over the edge of the plane. My nose and my toes are, are out there, right? And ah, it is everything that you, just, there's nothing between you and, and over two miles down, just straight down. Off you go. It's a great experience. But your heart, your heart, it's, it's, it's a fearful moment. You're afraid. You're not, we, we don't survive that kind of stuff. You don't jump from 12,000 feet up without some sort of, of life-saving device and survive. I say you don't. There's the exception, the Juliana Diller story. Now, you young people don't know. It was before I was born as well. But 1971, Christmas Eve, Juliana's parents down in the Amazon, are, uh, they're, uh, they're research scientists, and they've got a station down there. Christmas Eve, they're flying into one of their stations, and lightning strikes the plane on Christmas Eve, breaking the plane apart, plunging it into the Amazon. Juliana is still strapped to her seat, and the plane breaks apart, and she becomes a free fall. Just her and her, her two, the three seats that she's sitting on, they were, they were empty next to her. She was in the middle seat. She's now on a seat falling through the air, attached to nothing. At, at some point, the, the seat and her be, begin to twist and, and turn like a rotor faster and faster, and soon she loses consciousness. She wakes up on Christmas morning in the jungle, alive, obviously. The sole survivor of having fell, free fall, two miles, 10,000 feet through the air. They say the way that her seat landed in the jungles and the way the, the trees and the jungle foliage caught her, uh, she survived with just a few, few injuries. Not to be gross, but they had to pull out other bodies that went head first, buried three feet deep into the ground. 
That's the exception. But you don't survive without being attached to something life-saving. And your heart won't. Your heart will not survive heartbreak. Your heart will not survive heartbreak unless it is attached to something life-saving. And now you know where we're going. Here's my appeal. A broken heart is beyond the reach of any medication, beyond the reach of any surgeon, beyond the reach of anything except for one. Let me take you there. Our last passage here. That we'll turn to. We're already in the Gospels. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus. This is the only place that Jesus, the only place in all four Gospels that Jesus describes his own heart. We've talked about this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me. Come. He begins with the imperative. You must come to me. What's the invitation? It's the same invitation that was given to me by my, by my tandem skydiving partner when I dove from the plane. When we got in the plane and we were starting to say, he said, hey, you come to me. Come, come here. And I sat right next to him. He strapped me in four points of clips, two up, two down. And then he, he cinched us in. You're tight to each other. That's the invitation. Jesus is saying, hey, come strap yourself into me. Come to me. All you who are brokenhearted. It says we are your burdened. We're just going to put in brokenhearted. You who are brokenhearted, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle. He's describing his heart. Humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Let me, let me cinch you in to my yoke. You will find rest. It will be a lifting experience. Rest in the midst of heartbreak. Rest in the midst of division, of rejection. Rest in the midst of tension. Rest in the midst of tragedy. What do you think Jesus is talking to? Those who've got it all together? Those who aren't hurting today, he's talking to you. The one with heartbreak. The one who's hurting. The one who's experienced loss or tragedy. He's saying, you, you come. You come to me. Let me cinch you in to my straps. My yoke was the language Jesus used for his time and place. I'll give you rest. Dane Ortland, in his commentary on this passage, says what Jesus is describing is exactly what a life vest does. You're struggling in the midst of a sea. Now, some of us don't mind swimming a bit, but imagine yourself in the midst of an ocean of heartbreak turmoil and stress on every side, waves washing over you, wave after wave. The difference maker for your life would be a life vest, having something strapped onto you. That's what Jesus says. Hey, 
in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your heartbreak, come, let, let me be strapped onto you. And I will give you buoyancy. I will actually replace your weight and I will carry your weight. When, when he invites us to take his yoke, it's not so that we help carry his burden, but that he helps carry ours. And in fact, the entire weight then is shift. You can rest completely in a life vest that's approved by the, by, the, by, the, by the Coast Guard. You can rest your complete weight on that vest. How does he do it? The life vest takes your weight on itself. It's not, the life vest doesn't deserve your weight. You're the one with all that weight. You're the one with all the heartbreak. It doesn't deserve your, your weight, but it takes your weight. And that's the great messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53. Let me put it on the screen for you. Surely he, Jesus, took our pain, bore our suffering, for he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that brought us rest, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He takes what we deserve so that we can have the rest and peace and eternity that he deserves. Hallelujah. Our worship leaders are joining me up here. The man on the middle cross, Jesus, the man who hung on the middle cross between two thieves, hung there with a broken heart. Why did the heart of Jesus break? It broke because he carried the weight of their sin. If they were willing to let him have it. He, his heart broke because he carried the weight of my sin, my heartbreak, my pain, if I would let him have it. You see, that tall order, that difficulty when, when, when the Bible encourages us to care more for God's heart than we do our own heartbreak, it's because that's how God operates. He cares more for your heart than he does for his own heartbreak. He would let his heart be broken, crushed a thousand times to heal your heart. He cares more for your heart than he does his own heartbreak. And he just invites us into that kind of relationship. Will you care for my heartbreak? Will you care for what breaks my heart more than your own heartbreak? Because I'll care for your heart more than my own heart. And that's the relationship that God invites us into. Uh, the ushers are going to collect our tithes and our offerings this morning. They're also willing to collect a Connect card. If you have a Connect card with, uh, with a, you're a first-time guest, you have an, a need, uh, uh, something that we can pray for you, we're here for that. You fill that Connect card or text that Connect number, 970-279-3432. Maybe you're watching online. You connect with us. 970-279-3432. Text that number and we'll be in touch.
to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the glory, his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.